Welcome to Crime on Prime Time. I'm your host, Kinsey Huseman, and I'm here with my two best friends. Howdy, y'all. It's A-Rod. And Malik. How are y'all doing? Doing all right, you know. Um, found out that I'm graduating. Congratulations! So, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. After a stressful, what, what was that, three weeks? Finally, uh, finally found out I was graduating. So shout out to Malik and Kins helping out on the essays. Shout out to a couple coworkers. Well, welcome uh, to the Masters gang. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So now, now we're all I, certified. Now I gotta go walk on August fourth. What? You know what? We need the question of the week. Go ahead and hit us with it. Okay. okay. This was a listener question from Carson, my sweet, sweet brother. So adorable and funny. Shout out. Okay, so Carson wants to know, are you Barbie or are you Oppenheimer? And again, we record so far, like, in advance. So it's it's opening weekend of those two movies. Mm-hmm. Oppenheimer. Barbie's okay. behind it. What's your reason you, behind it? Are you going to see either one of them? Have you seen it? I'm, oh. I'm going to see Oppenheimer. I'm going to see Oppenheimer. Um, I I just think Barbie's corny. Just overall, to begin with, I think the whole Barbie Because you cartoon, hate women. First off, I love women. Never never <laughs> say that. I'm a, strong, I'm a strong supporter of all things women. But not I, Barbie, I, which is all things women. No, it's not. Not all women like pink. I support the tomboys. I would call myself a relative tomboy, and I'm kind of... I never played with Barbies as a kid. See, you don't like Barbie either, woman hater. I'm going to go see the Barbie movie, and I'm not hating on it nor calling it corny, because I think it's supposed to be a really good movie. That's what they That's what they want you to think. It's all a lie, man. But I am... Good actors. I am a Chris Nolan fan, through and through. So I am also... Very excited for Oppenheimer. I also really love the cast. I love Killian Murphy and oh, Robert Downey. I thought you were about, about to say the clap. No. I was like, the cast. The cast. It's like, no one loves that. <laughs> if I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to see Oppenheimer. I, I'm not trying to watch a movie about science or anything like that. I don't necessarily think it's about science. I think it's more about history. I don't well, think there's going to be that many science. Much if science. there ain't no one dying in the movie, nothing like that. I don't. No one see. dying. I it's mean, it is an atomic bomb. <laughs> yeah, but do they show the part of them dropping it on the on the? I they do it. No, they don't they show do. the Japanese, but they show like the test bombs. See, I don't want to see that. I mean, he did it in real life, though, so that's kind of... But you want to watch Barbie, though. Um, you want to yeah, watch a bunch some... of bimbos running around. Yeah. Okay, Malik, Mr. I Love Women, calling them bimbos. Yeah. Man, I respect and love women. There's some beautiful people in the Barbie movie, Malik. They're supposed to be. That's how they're going to get you to watch that horrible movie exactly. that's about to come out. And they're going to get my money. <laughs> mm. Dude, the price of movies have gone up so much because I was looking at the price of um like how much are you know movie tickets to these movies. Yeah. It's like sixteen dollars a ticket. 
I was like, what the heck, man? They used to be like seven or ten. There's only one movie theater in Longmont. But I do know that I am going to go see Barbie on Tuesday. And guess what's next to the movie theater here? Fuzzies. So I'm having a girls' night, and we're going to go get tacos and margs, and then we're going to go see Barbie. We're going on Tuesday because if you join the little member program, the movies on Tuesday are, is only five ninety five. I was going to say, isn't that the early bird day? Or yeah. like the whatever all day is, matinee. But you have to sign up for the thing. You don't just get it anymore. Is the movie Insidious out already? Uh, just came out, I believe. I'm gonna go watch that. Boy, but I was no watching... one cares because it's Bob, Barbie, and Oppenheimer. Well, we off those two movies, all right? Now we're on to new movies. Insidious. So apparently, like when people are watching the movie preview, there are people like dressed up as like monsters crawling around in the movie theaters. Weird. I don't like that. Uh, I'll make sure to bring a weapon. I'm gonna. I gotta watch that one and none too. I'm ready for it. Okay, I will say I'm also going to watch Oppenheimer. I don't know when, because I was going to go watch that one with Dalton. And, um, I mean, I don't know when we're going to go, because he started doing boxy from 6 to 7 during the week, so he gets off at 7.30, because I was like, we need to go on Tuesday, because we get cheap tickets on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. But I do plan on seeing Oppenheimer. I'm very excited for it, too. You know what like, I'm excited for? What? The recap of this week's episode. Hit us, Ken's. Another <laughs> great <time>? segue. <laughs> I think you cut me off for that segue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got tired of talking about movies. But I'm He's, not tired of talking no. about this recap for this week's episode. So hit us, Ken's. One, one week. It's just based off of when A-Rod's done with the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't lie. These transitions, man. I mean, they're good, but what if I wasn't done? <laughs> you were done. You were well, done. Well, A-Rod we were just, was done. We were just ranting it. He said, point. don't you agree? Wasn't it just bad? And I was like. Well, Kenz, you, you started talking about y'all's hobbies and when y'all needed to go. I was like, all right, let's, let's go ahead A-Rod and said, I don't care. Yeah, he's the vibe guy. He has to make sure the vibes stay at the right level. Yeah. Okay, fine, A Rod. We can transition. Yeah, the listeners are not here to listen about y'all's hobbies. I mean, we're talking about okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm feeling insecure. <laughs> okay, so for our last and final part. Of Robert Durst. We completed the Law and Order trifecta. Okay, I looked up to see when each of these Law and Order episodes came out because I was like, did, like, how did Dick Wolf put this together? That he was like, I'm going to do Robert Durst through these three different shows. And, like, was it, did they all come out the same season? Or, like, the year, and one came out, like, the Law & Order SVU one, I think, came out in 2004. The Law & Order one came out 2003. I forgot to look up this one. Real, give me a pause. Anyways, I was just... What? Well, I was going to say, while you're doing that, I wonder if... I was just going to say, I wonder if someone ever, like, put all the Law & Orders in chronological order. Like, by episode from each different show, not Ooh. by... 
That'd be interesting. Patterns within them. That's what I was like wondering, like, is there a pattern? Like, how did he think through this to be like, because also these murders happen at all different times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So it looks like criminal intent came out 2002. So we have, O two, O three, and O four. Well, it's not that. It's not that bad. No, I just want to know his thought process. Mm-hmm. Like, did he plan to do that across the year? How do you keep that in your mind? Like, our main year? goal, our main goal, to get Dick Wolf on this podcast so we can ask him all these questions. Yeah. Also, how he separates SU's pretty like one tract, and that's pretty easy to separate. But like yeah. criminal intent, law and order, especially because they all go on at the same time. So how do you separate what goes where? Okay, because I was watching Criminal Intent this time, and, you know, I did the intro, and it's like, these are the worst of the worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But to me, it's basically just the regular law. Like, I don't get the difference, other than the fact the one law and order, epi- regular law and order episode I watched was mostly the trial, and this one was mostly the police work. Yeah. But other than that, I was like, what distinguishes this one, the worst of the worst, versus, like, regular law and order crimes mm-hmm. but same thing yeah i was like i feel like it's just it's just the same thing so i i don't know <laughs> but the, they all take place in like new york right yeah so all the same yeah New yeah, York. because throughout the shows they all do kind of like mix and match like some of them from criminal intent are on svu so that's kind of i guess that's that's kind of yeah i really want to watch one chronological order now i need to all the episodes the yeah I bet there's one out there. You can look at, like, there's the wiki, the wiki fandom or something, and that's where I created that spreadsheet of, like, this episode is based off of this story or whatever. That's where I got it. Someone made the list of all the episodes and the stories that they were based off of. I'm going to look for it. Yeah, I bet someone's done it. But it would be interesting to, like, because also they're, like, they're timely, right? Mm-hmm. So like whatever's going on in the world at that time, Dick Wolf probably puts it. Anyways, okay, we watched Law and Order: Criminal Intent, season one, episode nineteen. How do we think we say this? Maledictus. That's what I think. Maledictus. Maledictus. Okay. So it opens with an author named Ilana asking who I believe to be her editor for a job. But he's encouraging her to write another book. He said small jobs make small money. Her first book was called Daughter of a Russian Dawn. And now we see and now. And now we are seeing that Dawn go away for life, supposedly because of her book. Can you imagine being like, okay, one, I bet that's a really interesting book. But then it being the thing that sends your dad away. I feel like he didn't do a good job of raising his daughter. Because I feel like that's rule number one of what you would teach your daughter as a mob boss. You you never speak about, like, the family. Yeah, or you think she would wait till he's dead so they can't use it against her. Or against him. You know? Yeah. She's just dumb for that. And then she gets all, like, upset about it. What? So that's not her boyfriend, and he's not drunk. Okay, when who we find out is Kenny. When Kenny walks into her her apartment, and he 
he looks like he's drunk. He's got his coat on. I thought he maybe got in a bar fight because I'm apparently just making all the assumptions and judging off the bat. And then he's like, Martha can't see me like this. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Are you not her boyfriend? Who are you? Who's Martha? Why are you here? Okay. Um, but there's no telling if that next book will be successful. So she's buying that necklace and she's like, it's okay. I'm writing another book. And I'm like, okay, just because you're writing a book doesn't mean you're it's automatically going to be successful and you're going to have that money. Also, who was that guy and why was he beat up? They gave no explanation. It's just Kenny who maybe broke his ribs doing God knows what. Was that uh, Kenny? Didn't it was Kenny. Him? Yeah, in the beginning. That was Kenny. Yeah, that was him. Because I was like, who yeah. is this random dude, bro? That's what yeah. I was saying. I was like, what? <laughs> what? Boyfriend? Martha? What? Yeah. Yeah. I watched it twice just for it, and it it didn't even click for me until the second time because I just negated it because he was just random. Yeah. So I just didn't pay attention to it anymore, and then I watched it the second time. I was like, oh, that's because he didn't because he didn't look like Kenny. He was beat up. I thought he was drunk, but apparently he was not drunk. Yeah. Well, that looks like a group of scary men, all the like dons or whatever, standing there like Alga, Alga. I'll go. How do you go? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So her head was sent to the editor. What did the editor do, man? <laughs> well, he didn't deserve well, that. I was laughing at the girl who opened the box. She tried to scream, but that was a terrible scream. Like, yeah, that was very good. Yeah. Because that probably wasn't anything in the box. So she's like, <laughs> Having a vacant. But you know, when you usually scream like that, it's high pitch. Hers was not. I, I don't know. Oh, what well, kind of... I'm sorry. Just because she's a woman, she has to have a high pitch scream. No, like this one was not like nowhere near. You know what? Kids. Ken's just really trying to make it seem like we're just anti woman today, and I'm yeah. not going to stand for it. Yeah. You literally. Okay, we'll just get going. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing makes me happier than them not showing the head. Criminal Minds would have been like, oh, there's a head chopped off in the box. Let's just pull it out and I wish everyone can see it. And I was like, you know what? I'm okay with them. Not We can just all talk about the head in the box. No one needs to see that. The new expensive necklace she bought was found in her mouth. I don't... I Look, this is where our second or third episode of Criminal Intent. I still don't like... I, I don't like that guy, man. The main I, I love the guy, but have y'all noticed? We do not know the guy and the girl cop's names. They have not mm-hmm. one. I was going to say, I don't know their name. For it. I'm he, like, he gives off me. He gives off sketchy vibes, man. Like when he was in the box, he was like tilting his head and all that. I was like, what is this guy doing, man? Dude, literally one of my last notes is I like him more than Elliot. I love that cop. I, I have a thing about him, but maybe you'll bring it up later, and I'll wait until we get later in the episode, and I'll, and I'll say why I don't, when I had enough of him. Okay, but they've never said their names before. No one has ever called them by their name. I keep waiting for it so I could write it down, and I'm like, this is two episodes now, and no one has said these characters' names. Yeah, none. I was waiting for it. I was like, surely they'll say it, because I, I don't know. I could look it up, but now I'm just curious if they are or they're not. 
Yeah, I looked it up. I don't want to know. I'm going to see how many episodes it takes me to figure out their name. Okay. She was killed in her home, and a blonde girl was seen dropping something off to Ilana. Her dad is staying silent. Literally, he did not say one word when they went and talked to him. And we're like, you have to tell us. Well, I don't think he knows English because they had he had a translator, right? I think that dude just made that part up. I um, think okay, he was like, okay's a translator, and I needed him there. Okay, he's not a translator. That dude told but, okay to go do something. But, but also, like, why are you going to go up to the top of the mafia and ask him to snitch? He's not going to snitch. Like, you know. Well, because it's his daughter. Exactly. He's going to take it into his own hands. He's not going to have the police do it. And then I wrote, why are they yelling at the lawyer? I mean, they were, like, yelling. And I was like, we could just all calm down and just talk. There's no need to yell at him. Was it Olga, who was with the his blonde mistress at the time of the murder? Because they thought it was a mob hit because her body was dissolved with lye down the the down the um, bathtub, which I guess is a mob thing. I'm learning something new every day. So they determined it wasn't the Russian mob just because Olga wasn't on the plane at the time of the murder. This okay, I say this a lot. But they make just a lot of assumptions and just go with it. So they were like, listen, Olga is always out of the country at the time of the hit. But he wasn't this time, so it wasn't him. And I was like, well, that's just a pretty bar. I would assume that you would do some more digging on that to just, like, make sure. Because that's just, like, a broad assumption that, like, since he wasn't on a plane, he didn't do it. Which means he was there in the city if he wasn't on the plane. Or it was because... Right after he does it, he always flies out of the country, but his tickets to Hawaii wasn't like, or wherever they were going, wasn't until like the next day. They're like, so someone must have got there before him, because obviously he was going to do it on this day because he was going to Hawaii. And I was like, big assumptions we're making. Like, I don't know, maybe he had something to do the next day. Like, maybe it just didn't work in his schedule. Like, I don't know. You think you would do some more investigating before you're just like, yeah, must have not been the mob. Like, was Olga the only guy in the mob that could have done that? I don't know. I was biggest. They make a lot of assumptions that I'm like, how did we get there? You think you would, like, investigate more? Okay. Um. Wait, surely she doesn't fake her own death. Also, did the jogger witness a human throwing bones off the bridge? Okay, kind of looked like her from the back. So then I was like, wait a second, did she fake her own death? And send yeah. the fake. Mm-hmm. And then, so she, okay, so the she's throwing bones off the bridge, and then the jogger comes up and it tries to hit on her, then sees she's carrying bones and just runs away. It's Kenny. I I know it's Kenny. Oh, it's Kenny, but like, okay, so maybe he didn't see the bones and he just saw Kenny. I, I think he's yeah, yeah, that's what I think. I don't think he saw bones. I think he saw no. a dude and was like, oh. Okay, that makes more sense, because I was like, are you not going to go tell someone you just saw someone throwing bones off the bridge? I feel it. Anyways, okay, that makes more sense. Makes more sense. Okay. Um, oh, they just happened to pick out the photo with the guy from the beginning, going through all her things, and they're like, oh, and her prom date, Kenny Strick. And I'm like, 
big assumptions. Her next book wasn't about the mob. It was about Chase Academy and how they abused their students. Or so we thought. This sister is acting weird. Now Kenny is acting weird. They acted weird together. Did they not? Did they not give you some like weird vibe thing? I thought they did it together. I, I, I knew that I, they had incest. It was some incest. Okay, yeah. I wrote that later in my yeah. notes. I was like, are they sleeping together? They act yeah, like they're but, sleeping together. In that one scene when she starts like, um, but I was like, oh, yeah. what are we getting? Well, into? just like, well, just like the first scene they were together, like how close they were standing together. I was like, I don't know, man. This gives some weird vibes. And she's so, like, very terse with what she's saying. Like, mm-hmm. she just seems so, like, with, like, she just seems like she's obviously hiding something. I'm like, you're doing such a bad job. I don't know mm-hmm. if he's abusing you and you're afraid to speak and he's standing. I don't know what's going on, but something weird is happening right now. It's making me uncomfortable. Um, Kenzie, real quick, what does the word terse mean? Um... It's kind of like she's being, like, short and a little bit hostile. I'm going to write that down and put it in my vocabulary. Okay. I hope that's right. I might have just made that up. But I know terse is a word. And I feel like I used it in the right the right phrase. No, nah, you're not using words and you don't know what they mean. <laughs> I am. <laughs> okay. Can you just tell the police you're going for a walk as they question you? Okay, so they're talking to Kenny and, and the... And Martha, the sister, and then Kenny just walks over to the door. They're asking him these questions, and Kenny's like, I'm going for a walk now, and just leaves. And I'm like, can you just do that? Can you just be like, would the police not be like, okay, we're coming too. We're going to continue this line of questioning. But they're like, yes, sir, this is obviously a prior obligation that you have to complete. It's like he almost said he had to go to work. I have a meeting, okay? Was he I have a, was he sitting down when he was putting his shoes on or was yes. he just bent over? No. I, no, I was like, down. I was like, is he five? Who does that? Who sit sits down, down on the shoes? ground? Do you? Oh, sit I thought on he was sitting ground? on a bench. Oh, yeah, I thought he was sitting, sitting on the bench. Over. Okay, yeah. I thought he was sitting, sitting on, on the ground. I was like, are you no. five? Why are you sitting on the ground? Put your shoes on. I mean, I sit on the couch and put my shoes on, and I feel like that that's, was the same that's thing. That's different. That's that's a, okay. No. That's what he did. On their, on their but you mean like full on like bottom on the floor? Yeah, bottom on the floor. <laughs> At this point, that wouldn't have been the weirdest thing. I mean, yeah. the whole thing was weird. And also the fact that he's like, I'm going on a walk. I will not be answering any more questions. And I was like, I don't mm-hmm. think you get to just say that. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, so then. Okay, so here's one of these assumption things that I was like, how did I get there? How did they get there? Because they went to go talk to, the, like, the ledger guy that also went to Chase Academy with them. And they were like, Alana was writing a book about Chase Academy, but we don't think it's about abusing students. And he's like, oh, no. And they're like, that wouldn't be interesting enough. It's probably about the, like, escapades the rich kids were up to. And he's like, oh, yeah? And they're like, she she was um, – she had some things going on, didn't he? Didn't she? And that guy's like, yeah, everyone pretty much did. And they're like, but not with just boys. And I'm like, how did you just jump to the fact that she might have been a bi- like bisexual? Like, how did you yeah. how did you get from point A to B? What pointed you in the direction that she might have had high school flings with girls? Because we have not said anything about it since the up to this point. Nope. But, you know, 
I said, did they just guess? <laughs> okay, I think the watch thing is a stre- they made a lot of stretches. Okay, so then no. they go to the police guy and he and he was like, that watch, that looks like a watch that a mob per- or who a rich person gave you 15 years ago to cover what up. I was something. talking about that was the point. Yeah, that was the exact point. I was like, you know what, I'm done with this dude. There's no way, no one just knows that. He was like, yeah, he they saw to... making this watch back in 1979. I was like, all right, he has to be bullshitting. He doesn't know yeah. all these. He's just he's fishing. I was like, no one looks at a Rolex, just a plain gold Rolex, and hmm, they stopped making this in 79. I was like, what? Huh? And he knows like the model and everything. I was like, all right, I'm tired of your shit. Yeah. If, I don't even think it's that guy's fault. I'm more mad at Dick Wolf. Dick Wolf, what are you doing? What is this investigation? This isn't an investigation. This is a bunch of like jumping to conclusions and then, oh, you're right. Yeah, like this guy, he, he is he Elon Musk or something? How does he know so much? Why does yeah. just a random <laughs> thing? And I, I honestly, like, I still like him. The man just grabs the cop's wrist. He's like, oh, watch it, and then pulls the watch off. He's like, huh, look at it. I was like, hey, man, don't touch me. What I, you doing? I like him, but I don't like my. Also, he always looks like he's sweaty. I feel like he's sweating. <laughs> and he stinks. And he stinks, because <laughs> he's always working. He never showers. I like this dude. I just don't like the fact that Dick Wolf basically wrote this to be, like, a bunch of random conclusions. It's insane. Okay. Um, dang, that's why the sister is acting weird, because Alana was going to expose their fun night, and the brother killed Alana to prevent it. That was my thing, because in my head, I was going like, okay, at the time, this wasn't, like, acceptable, kind of, like, Mm -hmm. You would look down upon if, if, you know, you were bisexual or part of the LGBTQIA. Um, and so, like, to be coming from an affluent family, that would be something that they would maybe want to cover up to protect their image. So the brother was going to cover it up to protect her sister by killing Alana. My thought process. It's not that. Okay. And then this was, like, the next jump to the conclusion because I felt like it made, because then they were like, no, the sister was in Switzerland. Um, so it must have been Kenny and Address. And I was like, what? Because the cop did say they gave the name Martha Strict for the listeners that didn't watch it. So the cop was like, the girl was Martha Strict. And so um, they were like, no, Martha said she was in Switzerland at school at the time. So it must have been Kenny and Address. And I was like, well, I feel like the first rational thing would be, Martha's lying and she wasn't in Switzerland or she came home or something like wouldn't that be your first thought how did you get to the next one without looking up the first one first thing thinks is I knew it was Kenny in a dress not Martha could be lying yeah I was like that makes more you would at least investigate the first one before you got to the second thought yeah Martha she could have been on vacation Martha could have been home no 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 it was Kenny in a dress. Dummy. <laughs> this is why you would be a bad cop, okay? Dang. She's oh, coming okay. for next. You would not, you would do too much investigating and not just jump to conclusions that were immediately right. Piss off Ken's. 
Now they think the blonde woman was Kinsey. Kinsey. Me. It was me dressed up as a woman. It was. It was <laughs> dressed. Like, are, you, are, you, are you not a woman? That's great. Are you trying to tell us something, Kinsey? Sometimes I like to dress up as a blonde woman to mi- mix it up. Uh, now they think the blonde woman was Kinney dressed up as a woman. Uh, these detectives are making pretty big jumps to conclusions. Like, wouldn't you first, your first thought be the sister is lying? Okay, so we already talked about that, about like, they just immediately assume the woman in the car is Kenny dressed up as a woman. And not like, hey, maybe we should go ask the sister if she's lying or like double check her alibi, not just take her at the word. Is the mob going after Kenny now? I think this is because. He was trying to turn it towards the mob. He was trying to make it look like the mob did it, not him. Yeah, and he was in his, like, little boot thing. Well, yeah. Okay, this guy is so weird. But also, how could the cop tell he plucks his eyebrows? And isn't it, like, normal for guys to pluck their eyebrows? I know guys that pluck their eyebrows. There's one I don't, on this podcast who does. I don't pluck my eyebrows. I get them, like, shaved and all that. Yeah, I get I got some big old eyebrows, people. I know y'all can't see me, but I got some big old caterpillar eyebrows. So when I go get my hair cut, he shaves them like he like cuts them for me. It's like I it's like normal for guys to like. It's getting more normal now for guys to get their eyebrows done. But and to just like pluck them themselves at home. Yeah. Just, like, tweeze them just to. Like, oh, yeah. Up. Sometimes I do that. I ain't gonna yeah, lie. that's like normal. That. And the cop yeah. made it this weird thing of like. You pluck your eyebrows, I see. Yeah, and I was like, like well, this, I don't think that's what This was like in the 90s. Like, yeah, like, more like, how, I feel like it's normal even now. I feel like he's trying to get it more like how defined they were when they were plucked. So I feel like people pluck their eyebrows. It's not really a big deal. I don't personally, yeah. but I don't think it's a big deal if you do or don't. I know Dick Wolf is trying to spin this as a weird fetish, but I think it's a very common normal fetish. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's the time, right? Like, this was, like, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now, with, like, the expansion of the internet, people are seeing that this is very normal, common. Yeah. So many assumptions being made. This whole sh- episode was just assumptions. Does the guy cop have to be standing that close to her during this conversation? Okay, so it's when... It's when they picked up the two women that Kenny had had um, hired, yeah. Um, and they're inter- have her in the interrogating room, and they're asking her about the night that she spent with Kenny, and like, what did he like? What did he not like? What did he say? But he's standing so close to her, and he's like, "Tell me what he said." And she says, and he's like, "Say it again," or something. I was like, "This is getting weird. This is making me uncomfortable." Oh, I told you, he's weird, man. He, he gives off sketchy vibes. I was like, I don't think you need to stand that close to her during this. It's creating some weird tension here. Is he he trying to, like, recreate that moment? Is he trying to make it sexual? Why is he whispering? Because he walked behind her and was, like, slapped, and he's like, did you do that to him? And I'm like, that's so... Is this harassment? (laughs) 
of some kind. I'm not even sure. Okay. Um, are the siblings sleeping together? I'm pretty sure this is when Kenny came home and he's like, forgive me, Martha, forgive yeah. me. And Martha takes her into her breast and Martha kind of starts to undress. I'm like, what? I was like, she started like unbutting. I was like, oh, they about to get freaky. I, d- I, I'm still convinced they're sleep. There's some weird bond going. To- I mean, there's something that happened that I thought they were gonna uncover between the siblings. Like maybe Once. they killed their mom together and developed this weird bond or something. But they gave no explanation for it. Like their Once. explanation they gave at the end did not explain. Why they're acting weird? Because according to them, Martha didn't know. So why was Martha acting weird? <laughs> well, I may never know. What were you gonna say, Arod? I said, watch the movie in real life, playing as siblings. Yeah, I don't know. It was weird. Um, Kenny witnessed his mom commit suicide at age ten. So Alana checked out Kenny's mom's suicide case, suicide quotation marks case file before her death, before Alana's death. I bet the crime scene photographer is an interesting guy. Like I would love to get coffee with him sometime. He seemed like he had all those old like photographs and rolls. I bet he had some like interesting stories. Yeah, I was like, I bet he can tell you some stories. Crackers in the morning immediately means she's pregnant. Yeah, he says soda crackers. I was like, on a hot summer day, and the the girl cop was like, she was pregnant. I'm like, or she just didn't have any breakfast food, and that's all she could find, or she wanted, or or, uh, eating the crackers. Like, I was like, I didn't know crackers were seasonal. I know. I was like, pretty big assumption we're making. And then the photographer was like, you know what? She was pregnant. I was like, of course, because why would they ever be wrong about something like that? I do one episode, like, they make that stretch. He was like, no, you idiot. She just wasn't feeling good. (laughs) (laughs) What is the kitchen going to show 25 years later? They went to the house and like, we need to see the kitchen. And Miss Mendez was like, no. And I was like, well, what is it going to show you anyways? Like, what what's going to be there that's, that tells you something? Uh, so the nanny still lives in the house. Did they kill their mom together? I'm still thinking this isn't on it together because Martha's still acting weird. I feel like it. I feel like she knows. Like, she already knew that he did it and she just made her not I don't, I don't even want to say made her peace with it just kind of let it be i don't even i don't even know how to explain it just not wanting to lose your brother i guess you don't have any more family besides him i still think they're sleeping together there's some weird sibling thing between them oh, i'll never let that go they 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 sleep together they definitely sleep together this guy cop is very fascinating to watch i kind of like him better than elliot you like him better? Nah. I like Elliot because he fucks people up. This yeah. Game, I feel like he's trying to, like, I I almost borderline think, like, he wants to harass, he sexually See. harass people. Like, he might, See. he might touch me. Elliot's crazy, but Elliot 
knows that he's crazy. This guy, he just thinks he's normal. Like I just I think can't. he's so smart. I also think they make a lot of assumptions. Yeah. Okay. So he killed his mom because it didn't he didn't want her to have the baby. He told Ilana at Chase Academy that Ilana was going to write a book about it. Okay, not going to lie. That's a fake friend right there. That's like in my time of desperate need for money. I'm going to sell your deepest, darkest secrets. To like make money. I was like kind of a fake friend, if you ask me. She also put her dad in jail. But also she didn't deserve to die. Like that, that probably wasn't the solution. Oh, or yeah, that yeah. wasn't she the solution. She doesn't deserve to die. She doesn't deserve to die. Yeah. But so she did he, put her dad in jail. She did. So he killed her so Martha wouldn't find out he killed their mom. Also, he was 10 at the time, and he thought he only put a little rat poison or ant poison in to just kill the baby. Like, he didn't know the outcome. Wouldn't you think that, like, that could be, like, pled? Like yeah, in court. He, yeah, but like you said, he's ten. He probably didn't think about that. All he thought, all he knows is murder's bad. I'm probably gonna get in trouble. Stuff. Yeah. Also, I thought Alana was gonna tell on him for dressing up as a woman from time to time. I thought it, not. The no. Part. It's the killing part that was. That's why she got the uh, mom's case file. Yeah, Molly. Uh, that's on me, guy. And you watched it twice. I know, I know. Stupid. But wouldn't the, wouldn't the truth come out in court anyways? So, like, he killed... Okay, so then they were like, okay, if if you just confess to us or whatever, just go. We won't tell Martha the truth. We'll tell her, like, you killed Ilana for, like just going to talk about their mother or something in a bad light and he didn't want that to happen which is fine and dandy but now he's going to jail for Ilana's murder isn't the motive going to come out anyways in the trial what if he um goes to trial and he he doesn't have to go to trial right if he just pleads guilty pleads guilty i guess it kind of depends what the prosecution asks for because sometimes when you plead guilty you have to also then, like, recount what you did. Like, you don't just get to say, I'm guilty and go away. You have to, like, say you're guilty and exactly what you're guilty for, like, what you did, how you did it, why you did it to the court. And then you get to, like, you get the deal or whatever. So, I don't know. It kind of depends what the prosecution asks for. Maybe he could work out, like... I'll plead guilty. Just don't make me say out loud. Like seal the records, whatever. Yeah. And then I said, why are they still acting so weird? When Kenny came back, I don't know. Their whole sibling thing was just so weird. But it was a good episode. It was a good. I I liked it. I just don't like the dude cop. He's just so he's just strange to me. He makes my skin crawl. <laughs> Malik's gonna see him in his nightmares. I probably will. Whispering in my ears and clapping. I told y'all from the last episode. This guy's sketchy, man. 
guess we'll see how many more episodes of Criminal Intent. Let's see what else happens. Maybe he gets kicked off the force. I hope so. He probably kills someone and tries to cover it up. He's like a mixture of Dexter and like Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I could see mm-hmm. him being like Dexter. Yeah, very smart, but like hiding a deep secret. He would have been good on Dexter. He he would have fit the vibe for that show. Mm-hmm. The problem was is that he was too much like Dexter. You can only have one Dexter on Dexter. All right. Are y'all ready to round out our Robert Durst series with part three? Part three. Part three, the final part. And we are talking about the Susan Berman story. And I have to make a PSA. Because I think the previous episode, I went back in my notes to look up her last name real quick um, when I brought her up last episode. And I said Burmer. And that was wrong. It's Berman. And that's my fault with my shitty handwriting that looked like that made the N look like an R. So it's Susan Berman. And this is her story. Jeez, oh, man. but I guess I have to do the previously on Prime on Prime Time. See, the first part was good. And then you kind of. And then it fell it. off. <laughs> Listen, yeah. I can only hold so much air in my lungs. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so previously, so we had parts one and two um, before this. So, you know, if you're just tuning into this one, you may want to jump over to those other ones before you listen to this one so you can kind of know what's going on. Um, So we were introduced to Robert Durst, who comes from a really, really rich, wealthy, well-known family in New York, New York. Um. And he married Kathy McCormick, and then 1982, Kathy McCormick disappeared suddenly right before finishing medical school. And it was uh, a suspicious, under suspicious circumstances, her disappearance. Um, But at the time, in the 80s, they thought that she, Robert Durst was in South Salem. They thought she made it to Manhattan, went missing in Manhattan. 1999, a new DA is like, no, no, no. We think it's Robert Durst who was a known known to abuse her. Let we need to like investigate him. We don't think she ever made it to Manhattan. We think she went missing in South Salem. And so part of that investigation was okay. We need to go talk to Susan Berman. I'm not gonna get a part into that because we'll talk more in depth about it in this one. But it did get brought up in part one. So then we made it to part two, where we learned that Robert Durst had been in hiding in Galveston, disguised as a mute woman. And he, um, they thought he, they suspected him of killing his neighbor, who his remains were found dismembered in the Galveston Bay. He went on trial for it, and he was found not guilty for the murder of his um, neighbor. And then... He, like, lay low for a while, and then Andrew Jarecki and Mark Smerling made a movie called All the Good Things with Ryan Gosling and Kate Kristen Dunst um, that was essentially, like, a semi-fictional biopic of the Robert Durst story. Robert Durst saw it, called him up, and said, hey, I loved it. We should sit down for an interview so I can tell my side of the story, and, like, you're the only people I trust. I've never talked to the media about it. Directly, it was like, sounds great. So they did 
So they sat down for an interview and they created the Jinx um, documentary series, which you can watch on HBO. And that was Bob's downfall was with those interviews. But we didn't say why. But we will find out this week why the Jinx was Bob's downfall. Did I get everything? I believe so. If not, a lot of this is kind of a recap, but like a more in-depth recap of some of the things we've already talked about. Because we are going in back in time. Because we talked about Kathy's story. We talked about Morse Black's story, his neighbor. But we have not talked about Susan, Berman, Susan Berman's story. So let's get into it. On June 20th, 1947... Bugsby Siegel arrived in L.A. for a much-needed vacation. His new casino, the Flamingo, had finally started turning a profit since its opening in March. His mistress left him, and he was eager to see his daughters, who were meeting him at the house. He had leased to his mistress. Do do y'all know who Bugsby Siegel is? Sounds familiar, but I don't know. He was like America's number one gangster at the time. Okay, yes. Okay. That night, as he was chatting and catching up with friends, a shooter outside the window fired nine rounds. America's number one gangster was dead. In enters David Davy, the Jew Berman, and five others into the Flamingo, and they took over the same night Siegel died. With him, Davy brought his wife, Gertrude Berman, a showgirl, and daughter, Susan, who he just doted on. He would bring in Elvis or Liberace to play at her birthday parties, but also challenge her education by asking her to memorize all the states and the capitals. Susan was born in Vegas on February 18, 1945, and grew up in the casino. As a young girl, Susan would use the chips in the casino's counting room to help her with her homework. Susan loved her father and looked up to him. Sometimes she would ask the front desk for a key to uh, an empty room. And once in it, she would order tomato soup and chocolate ice cream to room service. Could you imagine this childhood of, like, just growing up in a casino? Tomato soup? Tomato soup and chocolate ice cream. I don't know. That's your takeaway from this? Yes. It, it really was, and I, I'm sorry about that, but tomato soup and chocolate ice cream? She's a kid. I once babysat a kid that liked cream of chicken soup but didn't want it heat up, so they just ate it out of the can. Nah, you let him do that? Kids are weird, man. I was like, okay. Terrible babysitter. <laughs> their parents come home to cook, and they're like, where's all the cream of chicken at? He's got yellow cream of chicken drooling down his face. That's what he wanted. He was older than you thought, think, but like, that's what he wanted for lunch. Uh, what do you want for lunch? Cream of chicken. All right, I'll heat it up. No, I just want it cold. Okay. Anything older than nine, they need to put him in the Google hut. <laughs> when Susan was 12, Davy went into a routine surgery and never came out. The loss of her father affected Susan greatly, and unfortunately, one year later, she lost her mom to suicide. But having lost both her parents, Susan went to live 
with her dad's brother in Idaho, who sent Susan to UCLA after she graduated high school. And as we know from part one, it was at a pool party at UCLA that she met Robert Durst. The pair became fast friends, bonding over the fact that they both came from wealthy families and they both lost a parent, if not both. After graduating UCLA, Susan went to UC Berkeley to get her master's in journalism. After that, Susan went to work for the San Francisco Examiner, which is like their like big newspaper. During this time, Susan met Nick Chavin, and she knew right away that Nick and Robert would become best friends. So she introduced the two, and the rest was history. The three of them became the three musketeers, as 2020 said. At some point, a friend in California asked her about her father's work in Las Vegas. Susan responded by saying her father was a hotel owner. Susan had no idea about her father's history. Um, the friend replied, quote, that's not what it said in the book I just read. It said he could kill a man with one hand behind his back. Um, because her dad was a mobster, gangster, so he did kill some people. Um, Susan immediately bought the book and could not believe what she was reading. So much so she requested the FBI file. Susan had grow up, grown up never knowing the truth about her father, but despite the anxiety she faced knowing the truth, she still loved her father, even hanging up his mugshot in her house or her apartment. Can you imagine never knowing the truth? I guess I can kind of see it, just because all the mob movies I see, they're very good about like keeping their family yeah. in the dark for the most part. No, I, I see it being true, but, like, could you just imagine being, like, I don't know, she was out of college, her master's, and then she just found out that her dad was a big gangster? Can you imagine finding that out? Yeah, oh, kind of like a little shell shock that your dad's yeah. a, a killer. Yeah. Like, like what? Guy? My dad? Susan published her first book. Easy Street, the true story of a mob family in 1981. A quote from the L.A. Times says this about Susan. Friends have described described Berman as the type of person to show up at your doorstep in a kimono asking to use the bathtub or drop off jello and roasted chicken when you were sick. A mile a minute talker, she was at once manipulative and prone to phobia of bridges of elevators of eggs but also brilliant big-hearted and above all loyal nick chavin later added that she was generous to a fault kind of sounded like a really cool woman so given all these characteristics when bob durst asked susan to help him manage the media surrounding him at the time of his wife time of his wife's Kathy McCormick's disappearance, Susan was on it and became the unofficial spokesperson for Bob to the media. Susan helped spread the narrative that Kathy died, or my bad, that Kathy did make it to Manhattan, 
which took suspicion off Bob, and because she was good at being manipulative, the media ate it up. But also the police and Susan's friends speculate that it's not all Susan did for Bob at the time, and that she knew more about Kathy's disappearance than she was saying. It was widely believed that it was Susan Berman posing as Kathy that called the medical school saying she was going to be due, be out due to sickness. Okay, so if you remember from part one, this was a big part of like trying to figure out if Kathy made it to Manhattan or if she was still in South Salem when she disappeared. And people believe the police believe she was in Manhattan because one of the pieces of evidence I told them that was that the medical school she attended received a call from what they thought was Kathy saying that she couldn't make it to school that day or the next couple of days because she was sick. Mm -hmm. Well, the police believe that the person that actually made that call was Susan Berman and not Kathy. Mm. Later, Susan's friends testified that not not long after Kathy's disappearance, Susan nervously told her. Okay, so this was like one of the friends. Susan nervously told her that she had done a favor for Bob and quote, if anything ever happens to me, Bobby did it. Um, this is the second woman in Bob's life that has said this to a friend. Kathy McCormick. Yep. Yeah. Kathy McCormick said it to her friend too. Then the same night she disappeared. Another friend later testified that Susan outright told her that she was the one that called the medical school. By the summer of 2000, Susan was starting to get pressed for cash to the point she started selling her mom's jewelry and asking friends and family for help. One of those friends was Bob Durst, who had in turn sent her to two separate letters, each with a $25 check in them talked about that last time and i said y'all are fake friends for not sending me twenty five thousand dollars in the mail yeah still wouldn't send it sorry still wouldn't do it hate to do that to you not long after this susan called called bob so now we're in 2000 they this is after they had reopened the 1999 or reopened kathy's disappearance in 1999 not long after this, Susan called Bob to tell him that the police had contacted her and wanted to talk to her about Kathy's disappearance. She was she was also telling her friends she was working on something big that would reveal something big, but she couldn't say what. Then, as we ended part one, the L.A. police received a call on Christmas Eve also A-Rod's birthday of 2000, about two dogs running around the neighborhood and a neighbor's door being wide open. When the police arrived, they found Susan Berman dead from a gunshot wound to the back of the head. Upon investigation, they noted that there was no forced entry, nothing was taken, and she was barefoot, which told the police that Susan knew her killer. The most interesting piece of evidence was a letter that arrived to the police station after the discovery of Susan Berman's death. I think it was like the same day, but after like they went out on Christmas Eve and the, the letter came, 
like mm-hmm. Christmas Day or like later on Christmas Eve, but it was like right around the same time. Yeah. The letter was postmarked a day before Susan was discovered. So postmarked the 23rd. Mm-hmm. And it was addressed to the Beverly Hills Police with Beverly spelled wrong. So the center spelled Beverly B E V E R L E Y. The correct spelling is B E V E R L Y. Did I say the same thing? I, I think Honestly. you did. Say it to me one okay. more time. Okay, okay. <laughs> There's so many letters. You, you said it, and I was like, I swear you said the same thing twice, but try Go ahead and say it again. Okay. Yeah. The sender <laughs> spelt Beverly wrong with the misspelling B E V E R L E Y. The correct okay. spelling of Beverly is B E V E R L Y. No E between the L and the Y at the end. Mm. Okay, okay. So they added an extra E there. In the letter was a note with Susan's address and the word cadaver. The police concluded that the killer was someone close to Susan that cared enough for her that they didn't want her to be left undiscovered for too long. But obviously not enough. They didn't care enough, you know, not to kill her. Not to kill her. (laughs) Yeah. At first, the police looked into and investigated Susan's landlord. Did I mention the part that I think I skipped the part where Susan also griped to her friends about how her landlord wanted to evict her? Right before Okay, right before uh, Susan was telling her friends that her and her landlord were going back and forth because her landlord wanted to evict her. Susan's really struggling. Yeah. She's really struggling. Also, Beverly Hills was a really tough place to be in. She was also, like, a screenplay writer, so, like, screenplays for, like, movies and stuff. And that job, obviously, is very unstable, which is why there's a strike going on right now. So I think like none of her manuscripts were being picked being picked up by the the movie companies. Um at first the police looked into and investigated Susan's landlord, business manager and her ties to the mob. But nothing conclusive turned up and the case went cold. Until Bob Durst made the egotistical mistake of sitting down with Andrew Jarecki in 2010 and giving him 20 plus hours of interviews to create the docuseries The Jinx. You're telling me he tells on himself in this documentary? Oh, you just wait. And then you can go watch the documentary on Hulu. It's very eerie knowing everything. What's, What's up with people like him and OJ, man? snitching on themselves they just think they're too powerful too rich and they talk about this a lot in the documentaries in 2020 he already got away with so much he already got away with kathy's disappearance he got away with mort black's disappearance which was pretty obvious why would he ever think that he would get caught you know and he just became too egotistical and said i haven't been caught yet I can sit down and tell my own story. 
And that's what he did. In the interviews, Drecky asked Bob if he had anything to do with Susan's death. He said no and agreed that whoever wrote the cadaver note was the killer. Mm. After finishing with Robert, Drecky and Smirling set out to interview friends and family of Kathy and Susan, an expert on the cases. One of these interviews was with Sereb Kaufman, who was basically Susan's adoptive son. They interviewed him in 2011. He sat down and gave an interview to Drecky, but called the next day to say that he had found something. As he was going through some of Susan's possessions he still had, he found an envelope with the return address as Robert's name and work address. And it was sent to Susan in Beverly Hills, written in identical handwriting and the same Beverly spelling mistake as the cadaver note. I mean, I didn't, you should see them. They look identical. So it's like block letters. And in the jinx, when Drecky was, you know, questioning Bob about the, you know, the cadaver note, Bob was like, well, someone wrote it in all caps so that they could cover their handwriting. But let me tell you, that note and this note from Bob, almost exactly identical. So Jarecki and Smirling take the envelope and store it in a safety deposit box in New York while they think about what they should do next. Because now they have what could be a crucial piece of evidence in a murder case. And of course, as documentarians, their idea was to confront Robert Durst with it, with the cameras on. So in 2012, okay. I hope this timeline makes sense because it does kind of get confusing. They do all of Bob's interviews in 2010. Then yeah. to make it completely corroborate his stories, whatever, get the whole story. They start to do family interviews in 2011, found this note and are like, we need to go back and talk to Bob. That takes place in 2012. So in 2012, they sat back down with Robert Durst, who denied writing the cadaver in the letter. But when Durecki showed him a side by side of the address from the cadaver letter and the one he wrote Susan he couldn't pick out which one he wrote. So it was just that Beverly Hills side by side. And he couldn't figure out which one was on the note he wrote to Susan. Mm. After that, Smirling and Jarecki turned the evidence over to the Beverly Hills police and they monitored Durst while they built their case over the next few years. Nah, they set him up. So, yeah. In the meantime, Drecky and Smirling began the editing process of all the hours of footage when they made the biggest discovery yet. This is in 2014. So two years later, they found this during the editing process. And it wasn't them. They said that one of the editors, they heard a scream from the editing room and they came in and she was like, you have to listen to this. And so in 2014, one of the editors found a recording of a mic that was left on as Durst went into the bathroom before leaving the 2012 interview regarding the cadaver note. So they questioned him about the cadaver note and this and that, mm -hmm. wrapped everything up. They're like, all right, 
you know, do you need anything? And he's like, let me go to the bathroom before I leave. And they're like, okay. But his mic was still on when he went to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. In this recording, Durst is talking to himself. And he says, quote, there it is. You're caught. What the hell did I do? Killed them all, of course. Oh. Oh. Goosebumps. I gave myself goosebumps. <laughs> and if you watch the Jinx, this is where the whole series ends. Right there? With this recording. It's released in 2015. That's it! That's, that's all great. of the Jinx, but that's not the end of the story. So HBO released the Jinx in 2015, an episode at a time. Up until and up until episode four, the FBI was still tracking Durst. But episode five is when Kaufman revealed the envelope he found, and at that point, the FBI lost him, and he was on the run again. And I guess he was talking. There's this um, New York Times journalist who his name's like Charles Bagley, and he did like all of the reporting on this, like for all of the years. On Robert Durst. So Durst and him, I wouldn't say became friends, but acquaintances. So I guess like Bagley was communicating with Durst as the episodes were being released. Like, hey, how are you doing? What do you think? And he was like, Durst was pretty confident up until episode five when the cadaver note like was revealed or this envelope was revealed to match the cadaver note and he said after that he's like i knew i was never gonna hear he sounded anxious and i knew i was never gonna hear from him again however they caught a break in the nick of time when bob called the voicemail on his cell phone from a marriott in new orleans they think he was trying to head to cuba the fbi shows up to pick durst up and they're asking the front desk if robert durst has checked in when they reply no, the FBI goes through, you know, 10 of Robert Durst's alias. Do you have a Dorothy Signer? Do you have a Morris Black? Before Bob just waltzes in through the front, 71-year-old Bob just waltzes in through the front door. This was the day before the finale of the Jinx was released. The FBI has said that this arrest of Durst had the timing of it all had nothing to do with the release of the jinx. And I was like, I don't know. That kind of sounds suspicious timing to me. Yeah, buddy, whatever you say, man, the FBI loves a little, like, what am I trying to say? Granger, um, a little showbiz. In his hotel room, the agents found $40,000 in cash. A professional latex mask that would disguise Bob's true identity. Okay, this mask was freaking creepy. It had, like, different hair. It had, like, like skin color and then just cutouts for, like, the eyes and the mouth. But it looked like a different person. Mm-hmm. He was getting advanced. It was, well, he realized that the mute woman thing didn't work out. Um. <laughs> And he already said, I can't grow a mustache and a, and a beard overnight. So, you know, I get more creative with it. It was a creepy mask. It was, but it probably would have worked. Okay. 
and a gun, which Bob had told him was in the closet. So they have him, like, handcuffed sitting there. They're, like, searching the room. And he's like, by the way, there's a gun in my jacket pocket in the closet. Mm. Okay. Um, so L.A. was chomping at the bit to get Durst back in California. They call they could try. Let me rephrase. Let me try this again. Okay. L.A. was chomping at the bit to get Durst back in California so they could try him for the murder of Susan Berman because Drecky and Smerling had turned over that, like, what they call the bathroom confession to mm-hmm. the police by this point. But Louisiana was holding him on gun charges and sentenced him to 85 months for that. This, however, gave L.A. time to create a solid case and to find their, the witnesses it needed. So, like, they had all of this almost, like, evidence. But, like, what, this was at the time a 15-year-old crime. So they had to track down all their witnesses again and, you know, go through what people saw, what people knew. John Lewin, the Los Angeles deputy DA, is the one handling the Durst case. And he has his eyes set on Nick Chafin as a prime witness. But Nick, having been both Susan and Bob's friend, went in no part of the trial. Mm-hmm. In April 2019, with Dick DeGarren at the helm again. Do y'all remember Dick DeGarren? Uh, the first episode. Wait, refresh know, us. He, he was Bob's defense attorney in the Morris yeah. Black case the good old texas one the one that had his cowboy hat oh, and oh yeah, 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 yeah and so the these documentaries like 2020 and stuff talk about this trial and they're like yep dick DeGaren thought this whole southern charm thing like he could just do the same thing this have his boots has his southern charm has his hat and just charm la and they're like yeah no one in california cared like it did not go over the same way that it did in texas Okay, so in April of 2019, with Dick DeGaran at the helm, again, Bob's defense team filed court documents that the bathroom confession from the Jinx was highly edited. Which I could, that seems like a plausible Mm -hmm. defense. Like, I I mean, reality shows, despite the fact that they say are reality, are highly edited. Same with documentaries. Like, they're just known to be you pick and choose and you manipulate what you want and will look good mm-hmm. on christmas eve 2019 so 19 years after susan berman was killed in a pre-trial court document the defense team admitted that durst had wrote the cadaver letter but that bob didn't kill susan even though on the jinx he agreed the killer wrote the letter Telling on himself. Which, yeah. I'm wondering if there, because I'm wondering if, like, you would you would call your own handwriting analysis, because there's an expert for everything, right? You could have the defense say one thing, the prosecution says something, and they're both going to be able to find an expert that says what, that it agrees with what they're saying. So I'm wondering if they couldn't find an expert that could dispute the handwriting. That if all of them were like, no, like, this is pretty evident. And so then they were like, how are we 
because like that letter and the fact that there were some like were a prime piece of evidence. So I'm wondering if they just literally could not come up with a plausible enough defense to deny that Bob wrote the cadaver letter. And so they had to admit it. Mm -hmm. Then finally, in March of 2020, the trial for the murder of Susan Berman started and opening statements were made. But what else happened in the March of 2020? COVID-19 COVID happened. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the trial was put on hold and the jury was asked not to read or watch reports of the case while on break. Which I feel like you're just playing with fire at that point. That's going to be almost impossible, I feel like. Yeah. I feel like, because they've already heard some of it. Yeah. So the jinx had already been brought up. Kind of at home during COVID. Well, that's the first thing yeah. I would have watched when I went home. <laughs> yeah. Even before COVID, I would have watched that. Mm-hmm. I got to know. I know. Well, there's a plane with fire there. Well, they had to hold true to that obligation for 14 months when the trial had started back in May of 2021. And they have, like, footage of the court here, like, of the trial. And so, like, everyone's in their mask, and they have, like, the plastic divider things. And Yeah, I, I looked up a picture of Robert, and he's wearing one of those, like, face shields. Mm-hmm, yeah. The defense argued that this unprecedented delay, the longest, so this was the longest adjournment with the same jury in U.S. history. Might have caused jurors to forget the details they were prosecuted in, that they were presented in 2020, or they slipped up and looked up the case. And I feel like this is very, like, I kind of agree with the defense on this. It's a valid argument. It's a good point. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to believe that they didn't go home and watch it. I, I don't even, I don't even think it's like. They went home and watched it. I don't see another way around it. I would first thing I would have did as soon as I stepped foot in the house, babe, what channel is Jinx on? Where where do I find it? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I think I think it's a valid thing to be like, whoa, 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 we can't just like start from where we left off. That was fourteen. That was over a year ago. Should we not get to start over? And during COVID, they're just sitting in the house, probably not doing. Yeah. It would have eaten at me too much. I would have. Had I know. To. I think I'm the same way. I'd be like, huh, Rob, because you already heard. It's almost like a tease. Like you heard the opening statements, which is all their like big facts. So you're sitting on. Because yeah. I think they were also like, you're gonna hear audio of him basically confessing to it in the bathroom. And I, I'd be like, oh, I got, I've got to hear this. Yeah. And the information's right there at your fingertips. I know, and you're inside for all of those <laughs> like that year. I don't know. I. All right, let's get back to the story. The judge interviewed each member of the jury and found that the trial could proceed accordingly, but opening statements could be given again. I don't know. Like, I don't. How do you prove they did or did not look it up? Oh, I feel like you can't unless you were just tracking them. What yeah. sucks for him is they probably came back and they already had their verdict ready. They could tell him whatever. 
they probably looked up mm-hmm. so much. They they knew they were just waiting on them to finish arguing. Yeah. Yeah, but for the judge to be like, I interviewed them and they're all good to go. I'm like, but how do you know they're not lying? Yeah, yeah it was like so people don't lie. I don't know. I almost wish they would have just got a new jury. But I guess they didn't want to wait that long. I don't know. Nope. The prosecution was arguing that Durst killed Susan because he was afraid she would tell what she knew about Kathy's murder. So this is kind of what, like, that Law and Order, the regular Law and Order episode that we watched last week, what we were talking about, what they were trying to prove in that that case was that by proving that he murdered Susan, although they're only trying him for Susan because they have to, you know, get him for Kathy's in New York. But essentially, if you can convict him for Susan, that basically all but proves that he also killed Kathy because you can't prove that he killed Susan without also having to prove that he killed Kathy if this is what your argument is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Their problem was by now, Durst was in his late 70s. He had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. He was fragile looking or frail looking. When he spoke, he sounded so weak and he was wheelchair bound and hooked up to all these machines. Would the jury buy that he was a cold blooded murderer? I mean, he looked like he had declined so Mm -hmm. much. If you watch the jinx and then you watch footage of the trial, I mean, it he does look like he's so sick and sounds so sick. Even if you look up his pictures, he's like leaning all the way down in his chair. All you can see is his head and he looks like he just he wants it to be over. Yeah. In his opening statement, John Lewin made it very clear that all materials shown in court from the jinx would be raw and unedited. Dick DeGarren argued in his opening statement that the prosecution had a lack of evidence proving Bob killed Susan since there was no physical evidence. I don't think that's a good argument. No. Not when they have all this circumstantial evidence. I don't think you can get up there and say they have no evidence. And it's like, well, we have, like, confession. We have this letter. Like, kind of have a lot of evidence. But also, I feel like they know that they're about to lose, so they're trying to just throw everything they got. Yeah, maybe. So before the trial started, the prosecution did this thing, and this was, like, back before COVID. They did this thing called unconditional witness, and I've never heard of this, where if the witness is over 65, they can get on the stand with a judge present and no jury and give their testimony before the trial even starts. This is done with this is done when prosecution doesn't believe the witness will make it to trial. Mm. Essentially, if they believe they're going to die before the trial starts they can do this unconditional testimony or unconditional witness which i had never heard of and also i was like it never answered it and i didn't think to look it up but like does the defense get a chance to cross-examine like it must be legal but i I, you know the defense has always has the chance to cross-examine if they yeah no no kings So in 2021, 
in the so in the 2021 trial, the prosecution plays Nick Chavin's unconditional testimony. In 2014, Nick received a call from Durst in which he said, hey, Nikki, guess what? Cutting up a body is only a misdemeanor in Texas. Let's have dinner to celebrate. Um, what? And I Why feel like that. Nikki? I, don't, I guess a nickname. They probably call him Bobby, Bobby and Nikki. Did y'all know it was a misdemeanor? I mean, he got sentenced like it was. Yeah. I mean, and essentially he's saying he got away with it. What? I said improper disposal of a body, like we talked about last episode. Yeah. Um, but, like, Nick was like, yeah, he was laughing. He thought it was funny. And I was like, well, that right there, I feel like, tells me he definitely did that on purpose. <laughs> I feel like he definitely murdered Morris Black. Bob said he was in. Oh, wait, wait, my bad. I was reading at the wrong spot. So they go to dinner. And as they left the restaurant, standing on the sidewalk, Nick says, You wanted to talk about Susan. And Bob's response was, quote, I had to. It was her or me. I had no choice. And he walked away. And Nick Chavin sat on that since 2014 and didn't tell anyone. So what do y'all think of that? Mm. Put him on trial, too. I'm on trial. Yeah. No, I, I don't <laughs> think so. I think it's your two best friends. It's like if, if one of us killed the other and then ended up totally in the third. Like, you almost don't want to believe it. You're, you, you make up all these excuses of, like, <laughs> He didn't mean it that way, or and you're just in disbelief. I mean, where do I say it? Y'all commit murder and tell me, oh, I'm snitching. Yeah, I said, what do you want me to say it? On the microphone? You want me to write it? What what you want me to do? Let's go ahead and clarify that right now. If y'all commit murder, don't tell me, because I will tell (laughs) immediately. I don't know. I think he he never wanted to be a part of this trial. I just think he just wanted it all to go away. I think he was just in denial. No, I won't be in denial. I'll make the sure de- to get it documented. The defense called Bob to the stand, and he essentially said... Okay, so Bob said he was in California because he had plans to spend Christmas with Susan. When he discovered her body, and he said her breath felt cold, and he was afraid people would think he did it. Um, and he wrote the note, but he did not kill Susan, and he had no reason to. Also, he loved Kathy. This is like what we talked about last week. That guy was like, he had a heart attack, but I was afraid the police were going to think it because there's suspicion that I killed my... Okay, well, if you didn't do it, then, like, you look mm-hmm. more suspicious. Not call, Like, why didn't you call it the police if you really didn't do it? Mm-hmm. Now it's the moment Lewin was waiting for him. He gets to cross-examine Durst. And this back-and-forth exchange is about to be something. You ready? The first thing he asks is, what would you like me to call you? Robert, Bob, Bobby? And Durst responds, how about sir? 
So from the beginning, Durst was very hot. Honestly, he just looked like the very like the old man that well, he didn't give a shit anymore. He's gonna say the first thing that came to his head, and he was just angry. Mm-hmm. Lewin asks, "Would you lie under oath to help your case?" Durst responds, "Yes." Mm. Lewin asks, "Didn't you say he would lie about killing Susan?" And lie about Kathy and lie about Morris Black. Durst responded, if I had killed them, I would lie about it. Damn. Yep. Which, he's I, hey, to, not wrong. I mean, if I killed someone, I'd lie about it. Why would you tell people? He, he, yep, he knows. Time's coming down. They did that thing where they, like, interviewed members of the jury um, during the 2020. And one of the jurors is like, it's at that point that I looked at the defense and I was in disbelief because I was like, y'all have lost all control of your client. <laughs> then Durst says, I want to congratulate you. You filled up 18 lines on my tablet. I don't really know what this means because, like, I guess he had, like, a tablet there that was transcribing or something. I don't really know, but this is why I said it. Lewin responded, I want to congratulate you. You set the perjury record. Mm-hmm. The defense objected. You can hear Dick DeGarren in the background going, Judge, don't let him get away with that. Mm-hmm. Also, Dick DeGarren in his opening statement got up there and he was like, I'm from Texas, but I don't have an accent. And it did not land at all. Not one person laughed. And I was like, well, that's awkward. Mm-hmm. Now Lewin confronted Durst about the dig note. Okay, do y'all remember this note? Refresh us. Okay, this was the note that I said we were talking about how y'all were also fake-ass friends because you wouldn't go (laughs) dig through the trash or steal someone's trash for me. Oh, yeah. So Kathy's friends stole the trash from Robert's house and found this note and a lot of Kathy's stuff in it and it listed like several words like dig, shovel oh yeah 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 like a list. It's, yeah it was a list that like pretty much looked like um, he did it what you how need to get, get, yeah, yeah, yeah. how to get away with a body so they bring up they bring up this note Durst tried to say the list was just a regular to do list also i'm surprised that they didn't try to do like the defense didn't try to do a competency hearing of like given all of his illnesses and be like he can't testify like stand in his own defense he doesn't have like the mental capacity right now to like understand what's truly going on Mm mm-hmm Surprised they didn't try that method, but maybe it's because they knew he passed. I don't know. Anyways, Lewin presented to Durst the bathroom confession in which Durst tried to say that what he actually said was, quote, they'll think I killed them all. Lewin played the audio with subtitles and Durst doubled down. So he played it again for the jury with subtitles and it said, I killed them all, of course. And Lewin was like, I didn't hear that beginning part Durst doubled down and said the mic didn't pick up everything (laughs) he's going down with the shit yep 
I mean, I don't know what Dick DeGaron and the other defense attorneys told him to get up there and say what the story was. But Robert's doing a shitty job, man. He's like he's like telling on himself, but at the same time, he's still lying his ass off, and it makes no sense. And the lies are bad. I mean, everyone in this documentary was like, yeah, Lewin had him by the palm of his hand. I mean, he was catching him in all sorts of lies. Mm-hmm. And part of me is like, did Robert just not care anymore because he was old? Could he not really yeah. understand what was happening because of the all of his illnesses and being old? It was probably just a mixture of all of it. Like, he knew he wasn't going to serve his full sentence. Because he know he probably knew he was gonna die soon, so he was like, eh. I don't know. Lewin also asked him how Susan's breath could be cold if she was already dead. Because he said that he was like, I got to Susan's house, I felt for her breath, it was cold. So Lewin gets up there and was like, how could, how could she have a breath? She's dead. In which case, Robert said her face was cold. That's what he meant. Mm-hmm. He also presented Susan's day planner. Lewin presented Susan's day planner, which detailed everything. She had all of her appointments, all of her trips, everything she was going to do, but did not mention Durst coming that Christmas. To wrap up his nine-day cross-examination... So Robert was on the stand for nine days with Lewin cross-examining him. Lewin asked, did you kill Susan Berman? Robert replied, no. Then Lewin asked, but if you did, you would lie about it, correct? And Durst said, correct. <laughs> what would you think if you were a jury member? I, I'd be done. I'd be like, All right, man, we waited a whole year just for, for yeah. this, nonsense. this nonsense. I mean, how do you get up there and you'd be like, no, I'd lie about all of it. Yeah. And then be like, no, I didn't do it. And then I would be like, but you just told me you would lie if you did do it. So now I can't believe you. It's like, So now it's like, why are you even up here? Why are you on this stand? <laughs> the trial lasted four months when the prosecution finally rested. In his closing statement, Dick DeGaron said, we don't convict folks based on made-for-TV movies. And I wanted to be like, sir, it's called a documentary. It's not fictional. (laughs) Made for TV movies. Also, it came out on HBO. It's not technically not TV. The jury deliberated for seven and a half hours when the verdict was decided. September 17th, 2000. 2021, everyone gathered in the courtroom to hear the verdict, except for Durst, who had been exposed to COVID-19. So everyone's like, yeah, no one can see his reaction. No one knows how he reacted when he found out. Probably didn't even react at all. He's so sick and old. He he didn't have it. He was just exposed to it. Uh, That was... At the time that if you were exposed, you really, you had a quarantine as well, but it didn't, you had it. Mm -hmm. 21 years after Susan was murdered, Robert Durst was found guilty. 
was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Yes, sir. That October, New York charged him with Kathy's. Because, of course, you, by L.A. finding him guilty for Susan's murder, that basically tells New Yeah, New York can basically be like, well, L.A. thought he killed Susan because Susan helped with Kathy's murder. Therefore, they think Kathy was murdered. So, like, you should also find him guilty Mm. like L.A. did. But yeah, right. essentially proves that yeah he he had a, he killed Kathy. So they charged him with Kathy's murder, and he also tested positive that month for COVID and was placed on a ventilator. Robert Durst died behind bars at the age of 78 in January 2022 from cardiac arrest, but not before he started the appeals process, which I learned means. His conviction was vacated since his appeal was never resolved before his death. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Kathy's family never learned what really happened and was never told where her body was. They never got to see Durst on trial for Kathy's murder. So that's the conclusion of this three-part series on Robert Durst. But the question remains, did Kathy McCormick, Susan Berman, and Morris Black receive justice? Nah, so they basically just wanted like an answer for it. I feel like so, everyone already knew and they just wanted him to go to jail, just go to jail. But he's already pretty much dead. Dude, got so I was looking up Robert Durst, right? And all that. And it came up his fortune. And just for another kicker for Kathy's family, 40 years after her disappearance, they announced that his uh, current wife, what was her name? Deborah or something like that. Yeah. She gets all $65 million he had left. Yes, because she did that. That's like the whole reason she mm-hmm. agreed to marry but, him. But they didn't announce it until the exact day that Kathy went missing, like 40 years later. That's just rude. That's a damn One more kicker. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel like if you don't get convicted until you're you're like robbery and freaking 70 something, you're going to die anyways. It gives yeah. no justice to anyone. It doesn't. You want them to like rot. Or get I the mean, not just go for a year and you're already going to die anyways. It does yeah. nothing for me unless you just want the satisfaction of them saying he's guilty. But if you think he's guilty, everyone else thinks he's guilty, then he that's satisfaction. See, they knew, really yeah, they, they wanted to hear it from himself. Like, yeah, Well, I think they know. wanted the courts to find him. I think they wanted it to be known and proven by the court system that he did it. I don't know. But also... Yeah, I mean, you're furious because he spent the best years of his life, all the remainder of the good years, out. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to speak to him. Maybe they, her family felt justice. I think what doesn't feel like justice is the fact that it was then vacated because the appeals process couldn't be finished. So then by the court, it was like still unknown if he did. But I do think there is some closure in knowing that the that the jury found him guilty and he was not going to get away with it again. He was not going to go to trial and be able to talk his way out of it again. Yeah. And like us, like if you, I feel like it's like good enough that if you look up his name, all the shit pops up and yeah. it's not going to, that's not the first thing that comes up. Isn't going to be that they vacated whatever. It's going to be that he did all this other shit. And then most people think he's guilty. 
but yeah i mean it helps so. that it's like widely known that mm-hmm. yeah he he did it he did but it, also poor kathy's family because i'm sure part of the trial they wanted him to you know say where the body was or say what happened yeah. like they never got truth or closure that susan berman's family got yeah, that part probably pissed him off here. Yeah. What else? I mean, how do you think this Susan Berman story matched up with the criminal intent episode? Mm, I don't know. I ain't gonna lie, that was a lot of detail I gotta remember now. There was so much detail in it. <laughs> This is why it had to be three parts, man. Imagine when he did this all together. It acts, it matches really well. Like if you think Mm -hmm. of all the episodes as a whole, it matches pretty well. But that wasn't the question, Malik. That that is not the question. I'll accept that answer. I think yeah, you can see. I do like how each murder got its own episode. Mm -hmm. Mm Mhm. And so each person got their own story told. Mm-hmm. Um, Dick Wolf, yeah, he did a pretty good job staying on track. I mean, this one was, I mean, this one wasn't as the criminal intent wasn't as close as the others. No, no. Um, but it was like a mob daughter who wrote a book. Granted, Susan mm-hmm. wrote hers after her father mm-hmm. had passed away. Um, the titles were kind of similar. The the daughter of a mob boss similar Mm -hmm. undertones yeah and she was writing she told her friend she was susan told her friend she was writing something big do you after i watched our criminal intent episode do you think that something big was robert durst do you think susan was gonna tell Mm -hmm. oh yeah here's what i think because they had like her uncle or cousin interviewed that were that knew the mob life and they were like, Susan would have never told because that's not that's not the mob ways, essentially. Maybe she was going to write something that was very suggestive. Yeah. Maybe not necessarily the truth, but... Like about Robert, but wasn't going to out Robert. I don't know. Everyone described her as so loyal and given this mob stuff of like, she wouldn't have done it. Like, she wouldn't have said anything because, <laughs> you know, the mob doesn't rat. I don't think she would. I don't think she would. She was. I think she was money, too loyal. I don't know. I think she was too money. loyal. Because then why would you tell Bob that the police were asking? Like you wouldn't want him to know. I don't think she would have said anything. What was the book about then? I don't. It could have been anything, but maybe it was more mob stuff. I don't know. But I don't think she – I think she was too loyal. Everyone described her as too loyal. But what if she was going to turn on them because they – you know, the mob wasn't helping her out, obviously, because she was struggling. And so it was a mob book? Yeah. Oh, that might have been true. But I think she's too loyal to – they were described as, like, the best of friends. Mm -hmm. I don't think she would have ever turned on Durst. Also, it would have implicated herself. True, true, true. 
someone should find the whatever note she was making about the book. Yeah. Do you think know. she has notes about the book somewhere? I think they would have found something. They did talk about how she went. They went through her computer and everything. I would think she had notes somewhere, but I don't. I don't know. They didn't find anything, and they had all of her stuff. Because I feel like it was obviously probably more than just an idea of a book. Then she probably wrote something about it. I would think or it was written down somewhere. Also, what do y'all think of the Jinx? I gotta go watch it. I'm have to go watch it, yeah. Also, what if Robert knows where the book is and he took it because it has all the... I, I'm bad. I jumped back on that real quick because then I started thinking about it, her writing down in the book, writing something down about the book. Maybe. And it's got all the stuff that Robert did in it or what she knows about Robert. About Kathy. Or about Kathy, sorry. Yeah, and Robert, got, he got rid of the book. That's why he can't find it. Maybe. Could have been. But the jinx. I'm going to have to watch this this documentary of him incriminating himself, basically, is what it sounds like. The His lawyers were very against this. And you know, as soon as they got the call, something was found on the jinx. They were so mad at him. I told him not to do this. This is why I told him not to do this. That's when they were ready to throw in the towel. Everyone describes him as very egotistical, very like he knows he can get away with anything. But he doesn't come across as confident or slick. Like he doesn't have an arrogance about him. He does not come off arrogant. I believe that he thinks he can get rid of get away with anything but it's not like he's smug or arrogant where i'm like wow i really hate him mm-hmm. i guess what i'm saying is it doesn't make you hate him it's weird does it make you sympathize with him or no or- no it makes you question a lot of things but it's not like he just gets up there and you're like yeah you definitely did this and i hate you like you're a horrible person mm-hmm. yeah but yeah it was a good three-part series, Ken's. I'll give it to you. You did pretty good. You did good Thank with you. Yep. Yeah. Now you're allowed to go this. watch the Jinx. Now you yeah. see why you couldn't watch the Jinx. It's ruin it all. You you yeah. you kept us in for these three episodes. Nice. That's yeah. all I needed. Your best job yet. Oh, yeah. that's amazing. Oh. Hopefully, all right. In the comments, don't say otherwise. Yeah, I mean, you, you're allowed to. I mean, you can write us a bad review. Any review helps, bad, good. I mean, if you really just despise us, then don't say anything, I guess. But or if you only hurt his feelings, if you only <laughs> somewhat hate us, you could just write a review that says that. And yeah, I have to read it. And yeah, I'd get really sad. And I would text <laughs> him and I'd be like, what do we need to change? Why do people hate us? But yes, like, subscribe, follow, rate, review, email us, DM us, follow us on social media. I don't know. Do something to support us. Tell your friends, your family, your ma. Your dog. Your dog, your friends, not your friends. If you hate our show and you hate people, you can tell them about it. Yep. Any kind of (laughs) anything helps. 
Tell your coworkers. Tell your boss. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that concludes our three-part Robert Durst docu or not documentary Robert Durst series. Three-part series. Yes, three-part series. Mm-hmm. And we are moving on from Law and Order. I feel like we need a break. You ready to hear what we have going on next? Yeah. Yes, sir. Let me guess. Criminal Minds. I don't know. No. Oh. I wish. All the time, I wish. I'm like, what guess? What show do you think we're watching next? NCIS. No. Oh, dang. We're watching everyone's favorite, not so favorite, Bones. Ah, Bones. Season yes. 5, Episode 6. Tough man, no, my bad. Tough man in the tender chicken. Oh, interesting. Name. Sounds interesting. Yeah. I know. I feel like it's gonna be something stupid again, so I need to watch it earlier so I have time to look mm-hmm. up a case. Where where can they find Bones again? I know. We I believed it. we watched it on Amazon Prime last time. I think so. Mm-hmm. I have not I watched it yet. It might be on Peacock. I don't know. Peacock is live. I have it on Prime. I know yeah, I watched it on Prime. Real quick. They can watch it on. Prime. Uh, Hulu might have it. Sling TV. Those are the kind of places that you can find it. It can be found. Yeah. Alrighty then. With that, this is Crime on Primetime. I'm your host, Kinsey, and we are signing out. See ya. Later.